The Lord be with you. So for many years, my first choice when reading the Bible would not to go to the Gospels, to the four Gospels. I'd rather go to St. Paul's letters uh, because I am drawn to doctrine. And St. Paul is very doctrinal. And I love reading uh, St. Paul. And I, So when I would go and teach and preach, I would usually teach out of St. Paul. And uh, you know, I figured out that he is hard to preach from. He is incredibly hard to teach from. I, you know, I would read the Gospels and I'm thinking, this isn't doctrine. This isn't black and white. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's stories and, and all that. Um, but recently, our diocese up north, the Diocese of uh, Saskatchewan, so I'm attending a church at St. John's in Nipawin, and we're part of the Diocese of Saskatchewan. During Lent, we were asked to read um, the Gospel of St. John. Uh, and so I was reading through it and I thought, wow, this is just rich stuff in here. This is just so good. I can't believe I was missing all this. There's doctrine in here. <laughs> uh, and I'm squeezing that out this weekend. Um, but it was just so good. And then we went, I went to the prayer conference for the diocese and we were, he was talking about prayer uh, through the Gospel of St. John. And it was such a good weekend. Um, very, very edifying and uplifting. So, uh, you know, again, I'm sure I've read that, I'm sure I've read the Gospel of John many, many times, uh, but then I was looking at it again, and man, this is so good. And so I was thinking about what can I be teaching on this summer, and that was what came to my mind was the Gospel of St. John. Uh, so this weekend we'll be going through with different themes, and next week I'm at a Bible camp in northern Saskatchewan near Meadow Lake, and I'll be going through uh, the Gospel of John. And then I'm at another Bible camp at the end of Aug- in the middle of August up north near Meadow Lake. They just ram the Bible camps up there. And, uh, so I'll be, and then I'll be using those same talks. So I've been spending a lot of time in the Gospel of John. And it's been so good. Uh, you, can never, you can never go wrong with St. John's Gospel. I don't think you can. This is a Gospel that Christians invite Uh, non-believers and new believers to read because we get to see who Jesus is. It is without a doubt. And and there's so much that older Christians can get as well. I've been reading this and I'm thinking, why do we give this to new Christians? Because there's a lot of complicated, uh, perplexed ideas in this gospel. Uh, But but it is without a doubt... uh, that this is a gospel for everyone. And so our theme for this weekend is, who is Jesus? So this weekend, it'll be, we'll be talking about who is Jesus. And I don't want to, you know, you, you might go into some bookstores and you'll see sensational titles on the shelf that says, the Jesus you never knew. You know, the, the Jesus that's revealed now. I'm not, I'm not doing that. We're going to go straight back into the Bible. And this, this is really back to the basics. I think for uh, this is basic Christianity, as C.S. Lewis would say, mere Christianity. Um, and so D.A. Carson, a Baptist scholar, uh, wrote in his commentary on St. John's Gospel, he said, perhaps more than any other, the Gospel of John has been used by Christians in every age and for the greatest array of purposes. University students distribute free copies to their friends in the hope of introducing them to the Savior. 
So that should tell you something. Christians on their uh, elderly Christians on their deathbed ask that parts of the gospel be read to them. Academics write learned dissertations on the relationship between John and some ancient corpus of literature. Children memorize entire chapters and sing choruses based on its truth. And until recently, the best-known verse in the Bible was John 3.16. A toddler could recite it. In this gospel, the love of God is dramatically mediated through Jesus Christ, so much so that uh, one scholar, Karl Barth, is alleged to have commented that the most profound truth he had ever heard was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So why did St. John write this gospel? I think if we're going to understand who Jesus is, we have to kind of understand uh, the theological contribution and the significance of St. John and his gospel. We need to understand why he wrote this account. Uh, Two scholars uh, propose four reasons for why each of the four gospels were written. Number one, the original eyewitnesses were dying. So they wanted to write down the account of Jesus to pass on what we know about Jesus to the next generation. Keep this truth going forward. Number two, evangelism purposes. This is the good news found here. And so we want to make sure that this is preached further and that it can be widespread. When you write something down, you can, you can uh, uh, send it off more easily. For teaching purposes, to teach who Jesus is. So one, original eyewitnesses were dying, evangelistic reasons, and for teaching purposes. So really the gospel authors were recording the events of this fellow named Jesus from Nazareth, who had shaken the world upside down. That's like somebody coming out of Rockford and saying, I'm the Savior. And this guy from Rockford shook the whole world upside down through his teachings and his sayings and through his death and his resurrection. This Jesus was worth writing about. His message was meant to be spread far and wide. If that guy from Rockford died and rose again, that would be, they'd be talking about that forever at Coffee Row, probably. <laughs> that guy's crazy. And so, uh, to help us get a bit of a better understanding for writing this gospel account, we look at St. John's first epistle, which is found at the back of the New Testament. He, he writes in his first letter, which what we call First John, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It's recording what we have heard and what we have seen what we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, we have seen the life that was made manifest and we testify to it in this gospel. Well, each gospel account 
So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They each have a different... Uh, they kind of have a different purpose for, for what they include and what they exclude in the way that they compile their books. They, they all have different theological uh, significance to each book. St. John's main concern... You can write this down. <laughs> His main concern was to provide a proper Christology, and which, which is to give a, a correct understanding of who Jesus is. St. John's main purpose was to provide a proper understanding of who Jesus is. And there was a reason for that, because in the uh, first century, when, when Jesus was roaming the earth and after he ascended, there was many false teachers coming onto the scene and trying to teach something that was not true about Jesus. And so let's write it down. We are the eyewitnesses, so let us write it down and validate the truth. St. John wants to answer the question, who is Jesus? And he shows us who Jesus is. So we're going to spend some time looking at who this bloke who this looks like a nut from Nazareth who this guy from Nazareth is why was it so important for the gospel writers specifically St. John to record the life and work of this Jesus and, and here's another important question is this Jesus still important for us today I think that is an incredibly important question to ask in our day and age does Jesus still matter to us today? And we'll find out. So tonight we're going to begin at the beginning, in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light, uh, light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. This is the Gospel of Christ. 
Let us pray. This is a prayer from the Orthodox Divine Liturgy. Make the pure light of your divine knowledge shine within our hearts, loving Master, and open the eyes of our mind to understand the message of your gospel. Instill in us also the fear of your blessed commandments, so that having trampled down all desires of the flesh, we may pursue a spiritual way of life, thinking and doing all those things that are pleasing to you. For you are the illumination of our souls and bodies, Christ our God. And to you we offer glory with your eternal Father, and your all-holy, good, and life-giving Spirit, now and ever to the end to the ages of ages. Amen. In what has now become known as the prologue of St. John's Gospel, St. John establishes the notion concerning the Word. In verse 1 he writes that the Word was in the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now this is a little strange, because he, the, word, the term Word... He, he is saying that this term, he's giving this word to be a person. He's making this, this word out to be a person. But a word is not. It, it's something that comes out of our mouth. We use it to make sentences. Uh, a word is, is uh, we, we control words. Words do not have uh, intellectual capabilities. They don't have arms and feet. Uh, we control words. We master words. Words don't master us. A word conveys an idea. It reveals something. It teaches something. We use words to string together sentences in order to bring together grand narratives and intricate arguments. Again, words are not person. They don't have personalities. With brains that can think and reason. Rather, words are used by people to communicate thoughts and ideas. And yet, in St. John's Gospel, we read in the first verse, in the beginning the Word was with God. Okay, well, maybe we could say, you know, there was communication with God at the beginning. There was words being employed by a grand being, so the Word was with God. He spoke and things came about. We read that in Genesis. But that is not what St. John is getting at. For next he says, the word was with God. And again, the word was God. In verse 2 he states that he, we see that, that pronoun he, indicating that this is a person. And that the word was in the beginning with God. And nothing was made apart from um, the Word. So again, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Interesting. So let us stop there for a moment to kind of flesh this out a little bit more. We know that God is a person. He is a person because He, well, He's a special person. <laughs> Um, in that he has a personality and he functions in relationship. God is not merely a force like off of Star Wars. You know, on, on, have you ever seen Star Wars? Or is that... 
you know, they, they took hold of the force and they were able to use it. And it was almost like that was the God. That, that was kind of the super being. But that is not who God is. That was not a person because they were controlling the, the force. He's not a force. God is intimately involved with creation and human beings. And so John is calling the word God. Hopefully I'm not repeating myself here. He is explicitly giving the word uh, a personality. Moving on to verse 4, it is said that the word possessed life. And the life that he possessed was the light of mankind. And the darkness could not overcome the light. So skipping to verse 14 now, the word became flesh. Okay, that is, the Word became a human being. This God, something or other, the Word became a human being, uh, just like you see before me, uh, or before, before you. Um, I have two hands and five fingers on each hand and two legs and uh, two feet and a brain and there's blood flowing through, and I have emotions and, um, and bodily functions and all that. The Word, the God Word, took that on Himself. He came and lived among other human beings, we read. He dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. He lived among other human beings in community. And he experienced the ups and downs that come with being a part of a family and an individual in the world. And more is revealed about the word in verse 14. John claimed that they saw the glory of the word, the glory of the only son from the father who is full of grace and truth. So we find out more that this word is a son And in verse 17, if we haven't finally figured out who this is, we read read that it is Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus Christ is the Word who was with God and was... um, uh, He was God. He was with God and He was God. Jesus is the Word. But what does this mean exactly? Look at verse 18. And it might be different in the good news. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Is it similar in the good news? Can you read it out? Somebody? No one has ever seen God. The only Son who is the same as God and is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Hmm. I like how they, how they translate it. In, this is the ESV I'm reading. In verse 18, so in the good news it says the only Son. In, in here it says the, the only God. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. That is such an interesting verse because it says that there is God 
And it says that, so when we think of God, we think of the Father. That's usually what I think of when I think of God. Okay, so we have the Father. But we read later that the, this, uh, the only God who is at the Father's side has made the Father known. Interesting. <laughs> Very perplexing. So in, and that's talking about Jesus. That is talking about the Word. God, who is at the Father's side. Jesus is at the Father's side. Jesus has made Him known. Jesus, well, Jesus is the revealer of God. Jesus, who is God Himself, reveals who God is. You want to see what God looks like? Look at Jesus. You want to see what God is like? Look at the character of Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of the Father. That is, shows us, reveals, makes known who the Father is. Uh, one theologian that I'm going to be quoting a bit this weekend is an uh, Anglican theologian uh, named Anthony Thistleton. And I think this, is, this really helps us understand Christ is the vehicle of the rational communication of the invisible God in language and action. So we have an invisible God and Christ shows, Christ comes to earth and shows God visibly is what he's getting at here. He is the, the rational, he has a brain, he can make decisions the vehicle, he is the means through which this happens, through which God is revealed. Uh, the author of the letter to the Hebrews wrote, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. I, I like that. that re I think that really helps what we're getting at here is that in the Old Testament we had the prophets and they were speaking about God. They were, they were calling the people to come back to God. But then Christ himself, the Son of God himself, came and showed us exactly what God is like. In the Old Testament, we had a, it was a shadow. It was a shadow of, of who God is. And we kind of saw that in the law. But, we, but now it's um, grace and truth uh, that we see now. Okay, the Jesus who reveals God is in fact divine. Oh dear, we're not even close to being done. So that... <laughs> we're getting there. Just stay with me. So the Jesus who reveals God is in fact um, divine. So in John 8, Jesus is dialoguing with a number of Jews, likely some scribes or Pharisees, which he does a lot uh, throughout the Gospels, as we see. They accuse him of having a demon. So let's quickly turn to John 8. Okay, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? 
and the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now imagine uh, he's speaking to the Pharisees and he says that. Just imagine their jaws dropping in horror that he would say such a thing. The Jews cannot believe what they are hearing. He claims that Abraham saw Jesus' day and was glad and goes so far as to say before Abraham was, I am. Why were they so indignant? Why were they so outraged at this comment? Simply because Jesus was outright associating himself with God. He was claiming divinity for himself. He was saying, I am God. But you may ask, how was he claiming um, oh, there you go. He was already associated. How is he claiming that, though? You, you may be thinking. Well, this goes back to uh, Exodus. Back to Exodus. In, uh, in chapter 3. And we have the sojourner Moses. And he's uh, in the desert. Tending his father-in-law's sheep in Midian. And he sees the burning bush. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. He sees the burning bush and he... He senses the Lord calling to him, Moses, Moses. And he goes over there and he is in this holy sanctuary that God has set up in the burning bush. And God tells Moses, I am sending you to Egypt to set my people free from the oppression of the Egyptians. And he said, here we go. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And, he's, and he asks, if they ask who sent me, how should I answer? Um, and God replied, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And this was a new revelation. Uh, this was a new revelation of God's name. The people before that did not know God by this name, which is uh, translated Yahweh. His, this is his personal, intimate name, Yahweh. And in his name, he revealed his being as the self-existing one, the great God, the great supreme being of the universe. That, that's important here, the self-existing one. Nothing there is nothing outside of himself that causes him to exist. And so he would show that he was God. He would show himself to his people by doing great works and miracles in Egypt. And we see in Exodus that he uh, turned the Nile River into blood. He sent a plague of frogs, sent a plague of gnats, did all these awful things. And the reason that he did that 
The reason that he did sent all those pl- all these plagues and was to show that because the Egyptians worshipped those things that he sent, he he sent he he uh, sent flies and and uh, killed their livestock, uh, made their river into blood, because those are the things that they counted as God, and he was showing his people, I am greater than these gods. These are false gods. Yahweh showed himself supreme over all false gods through his great signs and wonders. Okay, so here's another question. Why is that significant for John 8 then? For Jesus to say, before Abraham was, I am. He is taking that personal name of God that God revealed to Moses and he's saying, I am that person. Before Abraham even. So, yeah, he's putting himself before Abraham, exactly. And he, and he knows that personal name because he is in communion with, with the Father. And so for Jesus, and, and this is interesting, Jesus, so then Jesus associates himself with the one who sends the plagues through Egypt and was in, in existence before Abraham. And that was blasphemous to the Jews. Because they devoutly believed that there's only one God. They said that every day. That was part of their liturgy. There's one God. And you shall worship the Lord your God. And so for this guy to come on the scene and say, I'm God. Well, how dare you? No man can see that. And yet Jesus does it. He, calls, he says that he is equal uh, with Yahweh, the I Am. He is equal with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is, this is awesome because just as the I am, just as Yahweh showed himself to be the great God of the universe by sending plagues and signs and wonders through Egypt, Jesus did great signs and miracles throughout uh, Palestine to show his, to show his supremacy and uh, supremacy. Uh, Think about when he's on the Sea of Galilee and there's a great storm and the disciples are freaking out and he gets up and commands the storm to stop and he goes back to sleep. And, you know, who is this? Who is this man? They were, they were bamboozled. <laughs> and that was showing that, this, that, that he had control over the weather and God only has control over such things. Okay, so Jesus existed in eternity. There was never a time when Jesus, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, was not. Okay, he existed in eternity. Before his incarnation, before the Word became flesh, Jesus sat in the glory of the Father in communion with the Holy Spirit. Uh, St. John is explicitly calling Jesus God. In the 4th century, the church came together to formulate what we now call the Nicene Creed. To combat against heretical teachings. Because there was people coming in and saying, Jesus was, is the greatest of the created beings. And the church got together and said, no, he is eternal with the Father. This creed, I'm going to read part of it. 
This is, we recite this every Sunday that we take communion. And this is such a wonderful um, proclamation of our faith. For we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty. Oh, there we go. Maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. Yeah, this is... There is... You cannot deny <laughs> that Jesus is God after you read this. The only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, and I love this, not made, of one being with the Father. And so as I mentioned before at the beginning, St. John's chief purpose in writing down his account of the Gospel was to provide a correct understanding that Jesus is God and is therefore a member of the self-existing eternal holy trinity in john 10:30 jesus says i and my father are one it was necessary for jesus to be god it was necessary for jesus to be god in coming to the world for it was necessary for the mediator between god and man to be sinless in order that those who did receive him, who believed in his name, as St. John wrote in his prologue, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born of the, of the will of God. It was necessary for Jesus to be God, in order that we could become children of God. And he writes in chapter 20, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, that by believing you may have life in His name. One commentator from a pastor in the States, he says that the theme of St. John's Gospel is to find life. In this Gospel, you will find life. Isn't that wonderful? So who, who is Jesus? Jesus is the Word of God, the I Am. It's going to be on your quiz tomorrow. <laughs> Jesus is God, a member of the self-existing eternal trinity. Okay, I hope that I didn't just spur you with a fire hose, because there's more to come tomorrow. <laughs> um, so we'll stop there for, tomorrow, uh, for now, and tomorrow we will continue to explore Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for sin. Uh, so let us pray together now. Lord, we thank you that we can come into your word um, and see who you are. And so would you open our eyes this weekend to see you and that we would worship you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength as you are God. And Lord, now let us thou thy servants depart in peace according to thy word. 
For our eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles, and to be the glory of thy people Israel. Preserve us, O Lord, waking, and guard us sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. Lighten our darkness, I beseech thee, O Lord. By thy great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of thy only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.